Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 54. I'm Rob Hazola, joined by Johnny from BetSnap. How's it going? Rob, we're still waiting on that uh, new intro riff that you were supposed to make for us. It's a good point. I will get around to it eventually. It is golf season now, so we're probably going to have to wait, and then it's going to be football season, and we're going to have to wait some more, and then it's going to be golf season. So the realistic odds of me producing this intro riff, plus... 750 at this point i wouldn't expect anything higher than that i actually wouldn't even bet the plus 750 uh for those who are listening um on spotify or on itunes um please rate and review five stars if you can uh and if you're interested subscribe on the youtube channel at BetStamp on youtube uh if you want to watch the video on a weekly basis and we do read the comments for guest suggestions and so on and so forth and we did get a guest suggestion um through twitter for our next guest on this week's podcast. He tracks his bets on BetStamp. That's where we first heard of him. You can follow him on Twitter at CliveBixby41. Same handle on Instagram and TikTok if you want to follow him there. He's a plus EV sports better. You can also check out some of his stuff at SportsWagerU on Twitter as well. Has built up over a 6% ROI, over 3% closing line value on a very large sample. We welcome Clive Bixby into Circles Off. How's it going, Clive? Going great. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, you've been one of the most followed users on BetStamp and one of the most highly requested interviews. We did an interview with, uh, I'm going to pr- butcher the name again, Telemachus model a few weeks back, which was a, a pretty big hit. And uh, I think it's interesting for uh, people that are out there to hear from you know, new faces and new names that they haven't heard from before. So we appreciate you joining us. We always start with some sort of betting background on our, our guests. So uh, let's get right into it. Let's let's hear your story and how you got involved in the betting space. Yeah, so my betting story really, and I think this probably comes up with a lot of different sports bettors, started in poker. Um, <clears throat> probably played, you know, low mid-stakes online for 10 to 15 years. Uh, started with the movie Rounders and you know, got really into that. So not all that uncommon, um, played professionally for a few different courses of my life when I was in between different jobs. Um, and always just been interested in games and and trying to solve things and trying to figure out ways to make money and I guess unconventional kind of ways. Um, over the last few years since sports betting became regulated, uh, I live in New Jersey and, you know, I have a, pretty big amount of books available to me. So it started off just learning, um, through different promos, like, all right, can I be profitable doing this? And I learned that even without the promos, when I looked at my record, my EV, and it was like, wow, all right, I'm doing okay with this. Then I kind of expanded on it and and continued to build. Um, then COVID hit. And from there had a lot more time available to it and just really started dedicating myself to trying to understand the different markets. Um, you know, understanding the value of line shopping and realizing that there was a lot more to it than just handicapping the game. Interesting. So now when you started as a poker player, were you betting at that time in a, a, on sports at that time, or, or was this some sort of thing that you just moved on to with regulation? Uh, I just moved on to in, I mean, I was betting in some unregulated markets, but not anywhere near what I'm doing now, just here and there, mostly um, baseball and NFL. And it it ended up turning out that NBA has been by far my best sport. 
And that was not even something that I was really betting on all that much, maybe a little bit in college. Right. So now let, let's go through the evolution as a better. Um, now for me, me and Johnny come from very different backgrounds where Johnny was pretty quick. He jumped into the betting and was a successful better almost immediately. For me, I was a, a losing better for a decade before I actually you know, started to realize what my faults were and flaws. What was your first experience in the betting space? Did you find that um, you, you jumped into it? Like obviously having the poker background helps in terms of understanding strategy plus EV, so on and so forth. Did you immediately find yourself with, with a winning strategy or winning as soon as you became a sports better? Or was there some sort of learning curve for you when you jumped in? Honestly, there wasn't a ton of a learning curve for me. I was very lucky and very fortunate. Um, but I think it's probably because I had so many friends that were into sports betting. And even though I wasn't too heavy into it myself, it was just always interesting to me how like the lines were set and that lines would move and the different prices and things like that. So people would ask my opinion. Um, always been a huge sports fan. And I've always, especially with the NFL, kind of set my own mind. Well, before the next week's games come out, I would think, all right, I think this game is going to end up here. This game's going to end up here. This game's going to end up here. And then over time, it's like, well, it turns out that I'm right a lot more than I'm wrong. And as I've probably gotten better, the percentage of where the lines moved in my favor became better and better. So were you doing this? Um, I mean, I guess I'll ask right now. Like, are you doing this full time? Is this a full time gig for you? It's not, um, which is even more surprising, I think, because it does take so much time. Mm -hmm. um, this is not the full time thing for me, but I put so much time into it. And it's it's, it's easy to get burnt out, too, especially when you're doing multiple sports. For sure. So, I mean, I guess if you don't mind me asking, like, uh, you know, just generally, what is your full time gig? What's the the day job, so to speak? So I work in strategy and analytics uh, in the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. So a normal nine to five. I work now remotely. My office is in the uh, the Boston area. But the funny thing is, once I started becoming more successful at sports betting, I realized I didn't want to go back to the office. Right. So I wanted to have a position where I can continue to do both. And not that I think I want to do that forever, but I then took a job that I knew was going to be remote and I would never have to really go back to an office except for, you know, an occasional meeting or, you know, conference, things like that. Right. So I kind of, I kind of started shaping my career around the sports betting aspect. Got it. So you're valuing the flexibility of being able to work remotely and kind of do things on your own time. Yeah. So a lot of my work is typically done the night before, you know, games happen. So like if I'm, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock NBA games for the next day, I'm already working on my numbers for that stuff and ready to go. Um, if I want to bet some overnights, I can hit those. If I want to bet the next morning, if I'm waiting on lineup news, stuff like that, I still have, you know, like my screens up ready to go and try and the best way that I can do it is be as prepared as possible. What do you think your, your breakdown is uh, like maybe, maybe percentage wise or however you want to, to describe it in terms of, um, you know, I, I don't even want to say betting overnights, but let's just say betting ahead of time versus reacting to news that becomes available. Uh, probably 75, 25. So three to one, roughly, uh, overnights, early betting. Um, the thing with the NBA this year was it was so, uh, so dependent on lineups and, and getting late news right. 
that I'd think about it in the way of, well, where do I think I have upside? If I think that the side that I like really has a low percentage chance of a key player sitting because of the way that the schedule went back to backs, uh, usage, overtime, et cetera, then I'd be fine making that bet. But if I thought there was a decent chance that, you know, well, this is game three of four, you know, maybe Giannis and Middleton and holiday aren't going to play tonight, but I like the bucks on this side. I have to wait until I know that that game is, is solid. Got it. Makes sense. Okay. Um, let's walk through your handicapping process. I don't want you to give away, you know, anything that you feel is going to hurt your edge, but obviously there are tons of ways which you can break down a game. So if let's, let's use the NBA as an example. I, and I know that you bet other sports, MLB, um, football sure. as well. I've gone through your, your entire bet stamp profile and I see the, the breakdown. So do you model the games yourself? Um, some sort of statistical modeling? Do you handicap them using some more traditional methods like breaking down box scores and, and not specifically having a model? Um, ju- just walk us through that process of how you arrive at a number on a game. So last year for me, for the NBA, it was much more in the traditional sense. Um, like you mentioned, kind of going through box scores, look to use basketball reference and team rankings, you know, data a lot just to kind of get some ideas of where I thought the number should go. And I was really doing a lot of work following, um, you know, odd screens and paying attention to which way lines moves for a particular team, you know, day in and day out. So combining that with box scores and teams that I thought were undervalued and overvalued, that's how I was doing it a lot last year. This year, I built something that I wouldn't call it a pure model, but in a sense, it was creating my own team rankings based on the stats that I was looking at before and looking at trends over time. So taking a look at what I think the right mix is between recency and, you know, the season long data um, and then layering in things like lineup changes. What does this person mean from a, uh, you know, offensive, defensive plus minus scenario and just kind of tweaking it off of there. So it would give me a baseline, the data that I was pulling uh, together but it wasn't a pure model. Uh, I don't have anything and I would love to get to this point. I'm not the guy that's betting, you know, 30 minutes before tip off and throwing down, you know, <laughs> 50 dimes on a game. That's, that's not where my edge is at this point. I'd love it to be there, but it's not. And now I'm reading between the lines here and you can tell me if I'm completely off base. Um, but just based off of your answer, I'm envisioning you not making an actual number on the game, but more so predicting where the line is going to go um, more than anything. Is is that off base or would you say that's a fair assessment? No, I think that's relatively fair. So when I put the model together and and I have these numbers and I, this is probably the way that it should be, the bigger discrepancies that I have between my number and the line that was posted do better. Um, those lines move harder. They move, they move more. So yeah, um, I cannot through my data set a number itself. It's very directional. Got it. Makes sense. I mean, if, if you believe in efficient market hypothesis and you can accurately predict which way the market is going to go more often than not, um, that's a, a pretty decent indicator. And I'm just looking at your, your bet stamp track record now. It's 3.9% CLV on average. Granted, it's overnights like you mentioned in a lot of cases, but that's still uh, a very, uh, I mean, if you could produce at that number over a large sample size, it'd be a, a very good indicator of a, a long-term winner. So that's uh, kudos to you. No, oh, thanks. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how I started learning. Like when I was testing some of these things, it was, all right, well, how often are these lines moving in my direction? Am I reading the market correctly? 
And then, you know, it just so happened that more often than not, I was right. And what I would then do is the games that I was wrong that went in the opposite direction, I'd almost try and reverse engineer it and try and figure out, all right, well, what are the numbers that are kind of causing this? What am I missing? Right. And, and then I could start adding that into, you know, potential analysis. Yeah, it's been said multiple times. I, I've mentioned it before. You don't need to actually have the exact number on the game to win money. You just have to have the essentially the direction so you can pick the side, right? Because if you know a game should be like 4.566, 4. that doesn't matter. You, if, if the spread's minus one and a half and you think it's, you know, 4.566, that's the same as if you think it's like 7.66 or 2.66, you're still going to bet that minus one and a half. So um, that's definitely a way to win money betting sports in the long run. I think it's really cool that you're able to outline that I also notice on BetStamp, there's a lot of like, you know, injury news or you'll, you'll play a book. We've, we've actually gotten like a few complaints from specific, um, you know, users or people on Twitter who are like, ah, these people are just like steam chasing lines and whenever news comes out, they'll bet the other side. And we've, we've done a lot of analysis into this on our product. Oftentimes, you know, the lines are never going to be, you know, moving in a platform like us up to the second. Exactly. We try to get it as quick as we can. But for the most part, what people don't realize is, a lot of times, um, you know, a player will be moved out and then you'll see, let's say, a user like you or somebody else betting the, the number at like, you know, one of the regulated sports books. And uh, people will be like, ah, oh, that, that line wasn't there. And it's like, go check. It's, it's actually there. Yeah. So uh, I, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. And then Rob mentioned like kind of reacting to news and stuff like that. Is that a part of your business? And, and how do you manage it? You know, what, what, what also you have a full time job and you need to be working on other things. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. You know, I was listening to what you guys did with Hitman the other day, and he was talking about the NBA and injury news and reacting to that. And yeah, that's a part of it. I mean, anything that you can get that's information and you can beat the market to it. I mean, why wouldn't you bet it? Um, Would I say that's a huge part of what I do? Uh, It's, I don't know, maybe 25, 30% of those games are are injury news in the NBA. Maybe not even that much. Um, But more often than not, it's, it's a side in a position maybe that I already liked and I was just waiting on it. <clears throat> but for the app itself, I mean, when I first joined, I just kind of wanted to document what I was doing in my evolution and, and show that you can make money doing this and, and have a, a good, solid, profitable experience by line shopping, getting CLV, being a high volume better and winning. Um, did I notice that there are a couple of books that maybe don't react right away on BetStamp? Yes, that happens. I mean, people can game almost any system. Um, I mean, you have people out there and uh, I know, you know, who I'm going to be, or you probably have a good idea who I'm going to be talking about who want to try things with pen and paper and think that that's the way to go. Um, I mean, come on, but I, I think over the long term, if you look at when people are placing their bets on BetStamp, there is the time that you could see when it was bet and you could see where it was bet. If you know an injury came out two hours earlier and you see a bet after that's still a stale line, like I think ProLine was one of the ones that um, was one of the books that was really late to adjust on the app itself. Yeah, I mean, so I that, never, that's actually no that, no latency on that feed. That's like a direct a slow move. That's a direct feed. They just move so slowly. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm in the wrong place. Then I should probably be where they are. <laughs> um, 
that was one or points bet would put up a, a book or not a book points would be a book that would put up a line an injury might happen. They take it down, but that line might stay up there for an hour or two um, because there hasn't been a line to replace it. I I've seen people on the app that, that definitely game that um, transparency for me is like the biggest thing. That's why I joined Twitter. That's why I joined Betstamp and hoping to help people along the way. And any bet that you see that was made on bet stamp is, is a bet that I have a bet slip for. Um, I will say this. And again, in transparency, I never take a line that is better than what I can get, but there have been times where there are better lines available for books that I don't have mm-hmm. that I don't bet that I don't put on there. Yeah. Everybody's got to take my word for it, I guess, but that's, that's the way I try and operate because I want to be as accurate for my records as I can. Of course, for sure. I think uh, it gets lost in the sauce a lot of times, but Rob's Rob's, uh, said it on Twitter before. It's like, this is the point of Betstamp. The point is, is not that every single thing you see on there is going to now be like the be all end all in the industry. Although we hope to get it there within, you know, the next year or so. But really what the point is, is if somebody, if you see someone's record now, it's all there. You cannot delete those picks. They're all time stamped with the book, with the line that was available at that time. So now it's it's a matter of, hey, anyone who's on here who I want to follow or you know put up my own hard-earned money and tail this person or buy their picks or whatever it might be, you can actually see every single thing that they are doing. And then you can now say, all right, this guy, I'm, I'm going to hit that follow button. I'm going to bet everything he bets out. What time of day is he submitting his picks? Is that a good time of day for me to also be tailing them? Is he submitting them every morning at 10 a.m. or is he submitting one pick uh, sporadically every three days? That's something that now you have a confirmation of beforehand. And when it comes to the line moves and stuff like that, yes, there are errors and we do clean up and uh, and you know a lot of times adjust those records because we need to if there's ever data feed errors with which a lot of the sports books have data feed errors and then they delete those bets. So like it is hard for, you know, a third party to go ahead and be like 100% all the time. Um, but we're getting there. And then, uh, you know, it, it's very helpful and, and thankful that I, you, you hear words like that, where you're saying you just want to be as accurate as possible on the app and knowing that most of the time, what you're playing is actually the exact numbers you're getting, not taking advantage of anything. And if you are, like I said, steam chasing an injury news or anything like that. Most of the time, those lines are available, especially from a state uh, where you are, um, you know, like New Jersey. Yeah. And that's the other thing. It's um, I kind of wanted to show people what's, what's possible. And if I'm doing it, that means that somebody else can be doing it too. So you can do the same exact things that I'm doing from a, uh, you know, if you think that I'm reacting strictly to injury news, well then go ahead and do that. I mean, then make some money doing it. Why not? Um, You know, I've also, sent some Twitter messages back and forth to the bet stamp account when I would see things that were inverted. Like there are sometimes NBA games, like on five dimes, that would be the exact opposite, (laughs) like team minus five plus five, it would be flipped. I'm like, all right, hey guys, just so you know that this is here. I mean, I'm sure there are people that are out there that were using those numbers to try and, you know, boost stats or or whatever. Just that's not me. I'm not really, uh, I wasn't looking to sell picks or anything when I joined Betstamp. It was more just, hey, chart the journey. No, we completely get that. And and over time, we've actually been working to eliminate that as much as possible because of users like you. But um, we have mechanisms that alert us in real time whenever someone logs a bet and immediately gets a certain CLV percentage, for example. And then we can manually change those around. Now, obviously, we want to have it as automated as possible. But to Johnny's point, I mean, we're we're working towards 100% 
uh, in terms of verified record keeping. Don't know that we can ever truly get 100%, but we're as close to, you know, we're as high as we've ever been right now. So do appreciate that. Um, I, I just really want to ask you one thing I think is very interesting is sort of a, a backtracking because um, you obviously at some point identified that closing line value is important. And, you, you know, you talked about it a lot so far, working to beat the market. This concept is lost on a lot of people or they just never really grasp it or understand it or find it. Um, I know for me, the notion of betting into a market was not something that ever dawned on me. Like I always thought it was me against the sports book. Oh, they're, they're trying to bait me into taking this. This is a trap line, so on and so forth. All the um, you know BS that you know basically has been um, commonplace in the market and in content for years. How did you, you know, figure out closing line value was valuable? So when I got started seriously, there were three podcasts um, that I listened to seriously. This being one, Spanky's podcast and Rufus and Bet the Process, Rufus and Jeff. Yeah, I'm going to um, have to ask you to rank those podcasts <laughs> one to three. <laughs> uh, I'll hold off on that. Um, but that's where I first got the idea of closing line value, line shopping and things like that. And what I did was I did analysis. Um, and before I knew better, before I even knew what Don Best was, the Action Network has their own little odd service, odd site that has screens, but they also have historical um, line data, mm -hmm. has the opens, has the close. As I was looking through that data, I wanted to see how much it was worth if I beat the line by two points, if I beat it by one and a half, if I beat it by three, what did that equal in terms of winning percentage? And I went through that for different sports. And that's when I realized, all right, well, if you know you're going to beat this market by two points or more, you're looking at 56, 57%, you know, for NBA totals, as an example. Right. And that's what I started shooting for. So as I was looking through those games and making my predictions of where I thought the line would go. How many times were I was I getting you know two points or more, and you know that's that's why closing line value became so important to me. Makes sense. That's um, I'm glad to hear that this was educational for you when you were starting out as well. That's um, that's important to us and it's part of the reason that we do this. Um, so now I guess we we move on to your your successful. Um, you're Hold making on, Rob. I got one one good plug here. Go is, ahead. Is this so? How, where do you, I mean, I know the answer is, but where do you actually track your closing line value? Betstamp. Okay, so here's here's the plug here is, if Betstamp didn't exist right now, what would you need to do and what info would you need to actually track that closing line value? So I did have something before Betstamp. I built something in an Excel file um, where I would blend the closing lines of Pinnacle, Circa, and Chris mm -hmm. to get a, um, a big free closing line. Yep. And then I would calculate what the expected value was based off of that. It was a pain in the ass. So did you have to manually pull those or did you have some sort of like yes. scraper set? You see, you manually did that for every bet you had? Yep. Okay. And then you'd go ahead and input if the bet, what what number you got with the exact number and then what the, the line was, then you drag down that formula, I presume. Correct. It was a nightmare. Okay. So how how much time does bet stamp save you then in terms of calculating your CLV, let's say on a weekly basis? Oh, it's immeasurable. It's absolutely immeasurable. Oh. Um, 
Amazing. Glad to hear. I mean, listen, I, I threw that in on purpose. I, I, I had to cut off Rob for that, which I don't like to do normally. No, so, all right. Yeah. Uh, but, but really, like, the power is, is, is uh, you know, everyone experiences that same thing, myself included. You, you really need to be tracking where the numbers is closing and what value you're getting, right? Because you need to be able, as a better, to actually see if what you're doing is the, is the indicator of success, right? Your results that you have over a short sample size are not gonna be your truest indicator of success. It's gonna be that in combination with other metrics. And closing line value is, is one of them that's so important. So by tracking that alongside your ROI and your win rate over like a one month sample, two month sample, three month sample, you're gonna be able to determine if you can win, what books you can win with, what sports you could win at and things like that. And if you don't have a tool like BetSam, for example, it's really one of the main reasons we built it is for this, is if you don't have a tool like this, you literally, the average person cannot do this. It's way too much work. It's way too time consuming. And it requires probably uh, the amount of, depending on your volume, uh, a data entry amount that is potentially even more than the amount that you're, that you're betting. So it really like doubles your work scope. And we're really happy to have this tool. And we encourage, even if you're a person who's not betting, thousand plays a day you might only betting two three games a day put it in there just try it for one month is all we ask and see if that can make a difference in your day-to-day betting so sorry to cut you off clive and rob we'll get back to rob's question and don't really want to make that well well, even just to add like automation is huge right all you know as clive mentioned and as pretty much every better that we've had on this podcast has mentioned in some capacity it's a lot of work right? It's a grind. And then you, you add record keeping on top of it and having to track that on a daily basis. And now try to do your own record tracking when you're in a losing streak. Like you don't want to oh. do it. You just, it's painful, right? You sit at a computer and you're like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this today. So there's the advantage of the automation doing it for you. And, um, you know, it doesn't get put by the wayside. So yes, that's the plug for bet stamp. But what I really wanted to ask you, Clive was, uh, you know, we've talked about your betting, but uh, not so much your aspirations as a better. Like what, what is the next step for you? Are you content with what you're doing right now? Because there are some people who are just content making a certain amount off sports betting a year and working their day job. And I completely get that. I completely understand that you have the, um, let's say the reliability or the stability of working a day job. Uh, it doesn't eat into your day to day, so on and so forth. So for you, what's what aspirations do you have as a better? That's kind of what I'm trying to go through and figure out now. I'm at the point where, you know, and here I'll plug BetStamp again. If it wasn't for BetStamp, there are a few betting partners that I have that I probably wouldn't have either. It really helped me establish a lot of credibility as somebody that understood what they were doing uh, and winning. But I don't, that in and of itself too can be a grind, like, you know, going out and grinding accounts or grinding to go get accounts and and dealing with that part of it is something that right now is not the right return on time for me. If my bankroll was maybe 10 times what it was, and I'm trying to get down 10 times what I get, I'd have to go that route. So I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like. Um, What I do know is I'm trying to get to a point where it's, it's more automated so that I can get a little bit better return on time. Um, I don't want to be sitting in front of a screen all day waiting for injury news and things like that, especially with the NBA. Um, so trying to get to a point where I can automate more and then maybe I'd be willing to put a little bit more time into, you know, trying to get accounts and things like that and, right. and build more that way. Do you have a coding background at all? Not a good one. Okay. 
Fair enough. Uh, so, so most Excel mo- is about as far as I go. Got it. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, I same with me. I have a coding background, but I still use Excel for a lot of the stuff I do. It's a more powerful tool than people realize. I, I was just curious because, um, yeah, I went about automating processes through Excel as well, where you click a button, scrapes everything that you need, runs everything that you need. But uh, it took me it took me a while to get there. That's the, the only reason I ask. So you mentioned not yeah. wanting to, you know, grind new accounts and stuff like that. Um, how, how have you dealt with, uh, and I assume, you know, if, if you have been successful at any one particular book, you know, dealt, dealing with limits and things like that, has that been something that has come into play being in a regulated state like Jersey? Yeah, it, it has. Um, I think one of the most underrated parts of being successful in any business is, is networking. Mm-hmm. Um, as an example, uh, because of my job and I have like three or four different trips over the next five weeks, I couldn't go to Bet Bash, which really was disappointing. I was actually in Vegas the week after really kind of sucked um, because I wanted to meet a lot of different people. Um, Saw the pictures by the way at Circa, which is an unreal sports book. Like uh, amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. Um, I'm sure, you know, Bet Bash was a great time. Uh, Everybody said such good things about it that I've talked to since, but I've also had conversations with some of the traders and sports book managers of, of some of these regulated places, and they've been kind enough to extend to me, I think, relatively fair limits. There are some that are really, really, really bad, and I'm sure you guys can guess which ones that they are. And, you know, those are those are pretty standard, but, you know, there's play up and win. They'll take bets for sure. Um FanDuel has been better. Um, DraftKings kind of went the wrong way in terms of what they were doing for a while. They were, once they moved away from Canby and they started doing their own thing, they were taking bets. So it, it, it just varies and it changes. Um, but there are a few that are, are willing to take bets. Now, would you say over time, um, you like you, you started betting because of COVID or, or in that period, so on and so forth. Um, so we're talking about a couple here, couple year stretch here of you kind of building out what you've been doing. Do you think you have increased your edge over time, decreased your edge over time? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of variables that play into that. One is the market, the betting market, in my opinion, is getting sharper uh, on a daily basis. Um, number two is being able to get down. So, you know, if you could rank your edge, let's say today versus what it was maybe a year ago, would you say it's you know, bigger edge today, smaller on par. How would you, you know, how would you say that is? It's, it's smaller. It's definitely smaller. Um, Not able to get down as much as I I would like at, you know, the best prices that are out there. Um, So it's definitely gone down a little bit. Um, But what I would say is I feel like I've become a better, better. Right. Not, you know, not to, uh, make a joke of Spanky's podcast because I love it, but you know. He's going to ask us to clip that for a promo or something. I'm not going to do that for Yeah, him. seriously. No yeah, so you've improved your craft, but it's been tougher to get down and and the market is getting tighter. Get it, understood. Yeah. Now, you said that you've, you're have you working with partners now. Have these people approached you directly because they followed you on BetStamp? Is that the... Yeah. Really? Or they heard from me on like a certain, you know, podcast. Um, you know, I know you did the steady picks podcast not too long ago. I've done that a few times. Um, so people have heard me through that. Um, and I think a lot of people 
value transparency. So between, you know, what I was putting out on Betstamp and just, you know, hey, here are my records. This was a losing month. You know, it was just a lot of honesty and people would reach out to me and look to kind of partner up on certain things. That's like an indirect networking component, I guess, so to speak, that someone would be able to do that. But also a personal brand. Yeah. I mean, and it also helps with your liquidity, right? Your ability to get down on games when you're working with other people on top of it. It's just a, a nice asset to have. Yeah, absolutely. And as um, as I've been more successful now that the bankroll's growing, it can allow me to maybe expand and look at a few more opportunities and, and bring in other partnerships and figure out where to go from there. Cool, cool. Uh, I noticed in your Twitter profile uh, that you are doing some stuff with Sports Wager University. I'm not too familiar with it personally. Went through the Twitter account to glean what I can glean, but I'll give you the floor here to to discuss that a little bit. Seems like an educational platform in some capacity. It, it is. Um, and when I was uh, heavily involved in poker, um, there were some sites out there similar to the site that you know Phil Galfon was talking about out in Bet Bash. Right. Um, you know, like very very early on that I did some coaching there, educational videos, things like that. Bring on students. Um, so being able to give back has always been something that I enjoy doing and help to kind of shorten the learning curve for people. Um, you know, as an example, without, you know, this podcast, Spanky's podcast and, and bet the process, those are three that were really, really helpful for me. Um, what I would consider sports wagering you to be, at least at this point is for the novice slash trying to get to the intermediate better stage. Yep. Um, it's, it's not really there at this point to help teach somebody how to model and to do all that stuff. It's trying to figure out what some of those pitfalls are and, and plug those easier leaks. Um, so thinking about, uh, what's the best way to say this, making sure you get the best price on a game. So even before closing line value, even before you get to that, if you have access to eight to 10 books and you are betting exclusively at one book for whatever reason, and you are missing out on better prices, you are cutting into your own edge. Okay. So let's and, get, yeah, go ahead. Finish that, finish that thought. And, and, you know, if you are at that point, a 50, 50 better, you need every single ounce of EV that you can get to be break even and stay in the game and, and continue to build. Do you find that there is um, an inherent difficulty in getting some of those points across? I'm just curious as, um, you know, I, I, I've been involved in the content space, obviously, for a long time, dating back to days at the score, but also just with my own personal brand that I've built up. Um, and I find for like maybe every one or two people that I can get to... Um, adopt a concept like closing line value, for example, there's probably three or four times the amount of people that think it's garbage or just will ignore it. Have you found that, you know, that that similar trend in the space? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, uh, when I hear people say, just pick winners, it, it actually just drives me crazy. <laughs> um, it's, it's so much more than that. And when I hear about certain people like buying points and pretending that it doesn't matter to your win rate, you know, just because you won the game is just mind blowing to me. And those are, there are people out there that have audiences that listen to this stuff. And it's like, you really got to think through some of these things to figure out what's best for you and try to understand who's trying to sell you something like truly try and sell you something that really doesn't make any sense. 
Like, how could you possibly think it's a good idea to take a worse price on a game than the closing line? I, I mean, if it wins, I, it wins. I don't get it. Like, I mean, you know, that just, that's just that's kidding. one of them. And there's the, um, you know, you don't pay the juice if it loses, if, if, yes, exactly. if the bet wins. You only pay juice if it loses. CLV doesn't pay the rent. CLV doesn't pay the rent. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, uh, I... It, Listen, I mean, a, a lot of these concepts are rooted in probability, right? Let's call it out for what it is. And, and I don't, you know, this is not to demean anyone or put anyone down, but it's not like every single person understands even basic probability. Um, sure. At least uh, unless it's really, really, again, not to demean anyone, but quote unquote, dumbed down for them in a, in a way that they can understand. So I get it from that point of view. Um, what, what was just really triggering for me is when, you know, you do have... A, a pretty um, small group of professional bettors that are, let's say, public personalities or personas who constantly preach the same things and people refuse to listen. Like if, if I, you know, if I went to a mechanics convention and they were all telling me how to build a car, I would probably listen to what these people had to say rather than I'm going to figure this out myself. And I don't under, it's very speak difficult. For, speak for yourself. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. I was yeah. wondering where you're going with this. It, keep I, going. Honestly, I wasn't going anywhere with it until I turned and looked at him and saw the reaction. And I, I, I thought about the F1 example, but that, that's it. Right. I, and I don't, I don't really understand why the sports betting space seems to be so different in that regard. I, I, it's never, I've never been really able to grasp why people have such a difficult time listening to people who've been successful in the space. So I experienced the same thing on the poker side of things too, where um, people become anchored into these ideals and, you know, they hear one person that they think is successful and really isn't anywhere near as successful as they kind of market themselves to be. And because they've invested so much time in that person, they just block everything else out. I don't get it. Um, I think, being open-minded is the only way that you grow in any facet of life, whether it be sports betting or, or anything. So if you're not open to at least listening to new ideas and evaluating them, you're going to be stagnant. Like how else are you supposed to grow? But yeah, I mean, there are people that just swear by closing line value doesn't matter. Is closing line value the end all be all? No, but I could tell you, I remember I was looking at um, the, the COVID shortened baseball season. And I looked at totals and it, it was for the over under. And it was such a weird season with people being out with COVID, different innings, and just the whole dynamic of the game kind of changed a little bit and, and a different ball, supposedly. Mm-hmm. The overs and unders for the closing line basically ended up 50 50. Yep. So, like, the market does know certain things when, or, you know, the, I do believe in the efficient market theory, I guess, is what I would say, especially when it comes to the uh, the more prominent sports. Yeah, I think one of the challenges with that is, um, and maybe I'm guilty of it myself as well, but um, maybe a, a lack of evidence or proof that I think the community provides, because we do hear it a lot, right? Like uh, closing line value is important or whatever. But if I, if I ran a um, log loss, for example, of opening lines, versus closing lines. For those who don't know what log loss is, it's just an error metric. It, and and the, you know, illustrated that for every single sport and how the closing line is a way better predictor than the opening line, I think it would be much easier for people to understand. So maybe it's just one of those things where there's not enough pr- quote unquote proof 
or evidence in the space that could help people understand a little bit more. But also, like, there's an overwhelming component to that as well, right? When you start running error metrics to, to you know, prove your point, I just don't think that resonates with the, the vast majority of the population either. Yeah, that that's a good point. It, it is the overwhelming aspect of it. If you're not rooted in probabilities and things like that as it is, uh, it becomes a little bit tough conceptually for some people to to grasp. Yeah, once you realize, though, that sports betting will like the books will limit you once you realize that then it's it's kind of naive to not believe in closing line value because then essentially what you're saying is that um the thing that they're willing to accept a lot of money on is is not good like it is like if they're willing to if, if they're willing to accept a lot of money on it then most likely it's not good if they're willing to accept a lot of money on it and then and you're like yeah i'm, I'm still gonna beat this thing it seems naive, right? Like you're going to beat the thing that they're letting you bet $5 on, not the thing that they're letting you bet $100,000 on it because they're still a business that wants to make money. So once you realize that, hey, I actually can't just bet whatever I want. They do have limits for certain players and restrictions. Then now it's a little bit easier to understand like closing line value because you don't even have to really look at an error metric. You just have to look at logic of like, oh, I'm kicked out of the casino but or, or even how about this one? I'm kicked out of the sports book, but they still let me bet casino. Like, why, why do we think that is? You know, it's simple to, to understand once you realize that. So I think that is a good way for anyone listening to tell your friends. It's like, listen, if you're kicked out of the sports book and they still let you play casino, what do you think that means? Right. Probably let, they probably think you're going to lose in casino. So if you're limited on a sport at this time of day, but not at this time of day, what do you think that means? Probably means in most likely you know, the most likely scenario is you are going to just still lose at that. But anyways, I digress. Well, I well, well further to that, if you're kicked out of the sports book or ba banned from a certain sport, limits reduced or whatever, that's also validation that what you are doing is going to win in the long run as well, right? right. A lot of people are, they, they're like, ah, I don't know if I have an edge. I don't know if I should be risking more money on this. If you're getting limited, you should be risking more money on it. Most likely, yes. but some books are limiting some bananas stuff but but yes 99.9 .9. i did want to to say like should we could we ask the billy flip we haven't asked it in a while sure we got some extra time so i know you're a listener of the podcast as you mentioned so we're going to ask you the billion dollar flip the classic circles off question just a refresher for anybody who is uh, listening you get a flip one coin flip a standard american quarter this coin flip has equal chance of landing on heads and tails if you pick it correctly you win $1 billion. If you pick it incorrectly, you win absolutely $0. A third party is offering a buyout on this in which you can sell this flip for an automatic cash sum. What are you selling it for? Oh, God. I, I you know, I've thought about this every time I've heard it, and I still never come up with a good answer for myself. Um, While you think, I can tell you that my answer changes on a weekly basis. So I don't even have yeah. a good answer for myself. Every single time he, he brings it up as well, I, I think about what I would take. And it's definitely, I would take half of what I actually say I would take. Yeah, he Probably, lies about yeah. it the whole time. Uh, <laughs> like, give us I a honestly, range. Give us a rough range. Rough range. Okay, fair enough. So give us a rough range. I'd probably take 10 million. And I know that I feel like that's a crazy number no. to just go that low, but I probably it's life-changing money enough. And I would just, I'm done. Like so that's, I do what's the I lowest, want. lowest amount, 10 million. I think so. So you're not taking 9.8 million. <laughs> this is, 
All right, I take nine. Points. Yeah, no, so there's probably. <laughs> I I think I'd probably. What would you be happy with? Might be a better question. What would I be happy with? Um. And I'd be happy walking away. Probably fifty million. Is that fair? Not fair. I I like I like the honesty, and we're just joking around with you, anyways. But uh, yeah, Zach, what would you take? We're talking to producer Zach here. Uh. 23 years old i'd probably take like i i i pay off my parents mortgage oh this kid so like, okay um, you're you really planning it out <laughs> yeah yeah so whatever that would cost and then uh i don't know yeah probably like 15 million all right oh, 15 million now what's a huge house yeah, what mortgage is that? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. Not saying that would cover that. I'm you're saying, saying cover like, that, and and, and then some, I'd have that. All right, fifteen million is a is, yeah. an, is yeah. a good answer. That would buy you a garage in Toronto right now, basically. <laughs> yeah, million. pretty much. I don't know what the real estate market's like in New Jersey, but it's crazy over here. But um, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a fight. I I honestly don't. There's no judgment made here. I'm just very interested in the thought process. Oh, the and, purpose of the question is to get is to get you thinking because really what. The reason why we ask it is because we know you're going to go home now and you'll be like, wait, would I actually take the 9.8 or am I going to take? And yeah, then that, it's get, it, it gets you thinking. It does. Uh, yeah, I, I know that I would definitely take less than I actually say I do. Like if, if presented with that actual option and someone, you know, I say like, oh, I would only take 20 million and someone comes with a briefcase of $5 million or is like, I'll wire you the $5 million in crypto right now. I'd be like, all right. Why would they have to bring the brief briefcase of the it, money if they're going to wire it to you? Well, they bring it in a duffel bag, right? Something along those it's lines. Symbolic. Yes. Symbolic. Yes. Uh, all right. I want to get into just uh, before we get to the closing question. Um, let's get into just some some general advice here. I mean, you talked yeah. about this earlier, um, especially with the sports wager university stuff. Uh, but for a recreational better out there, maybe even intermediate, uh, what would you say is one of the biggest pitfalls to avoid? Bankroll management one. Um, you know, hundred unit bomb bangers are not a thing. Right. So don't do that. Um, I would say not doing your own research and looking for easy answers. There's no easy fix to any of this stuff. Um, you know, for everybody, the journey is a little bit longer from getting to novice to intermediate, to being able to make, you know, significant money. Um, I would say just keep track of the mistakes that you make and try and learn from them. Don't, don't ignore your losses and don't think just because you're on a winning streak, you know it all either. So try and learn something for your wins and your losses. I think that's something that gets lost far too often is that when people are successful, they could potentially ignore some warning signs where they've maybe been on the right side of variance and they could have incorporated something new into their analysis and you're kind of delaying your growth that way. It's a smart answer. I like that. Uh, and then something that you don't hear talked about enough in this industry, industry that you think really should be talked about a little bit more. So a big pet peeve of mine is, is, is a lot of the personalities that don't do any kind of tracking at all, or they're just not transparent. Um, it's a pet, pet peeve know. of mine too. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And even more so though, the people who are dishonest about how they track. So that's even worse. Um, there are a couple guys out there that I'm sure if I said the names, you would know exactly who I was probably, or, you know, who I'm thinking about. You guys are probably thinking about the same types of people and, you know, people are going out there with their money and just trailing these people. And 
it's just, it's a, it's a dangerous game and you can't help everybody out there either. It's like, there's a part of me that wants to be able to say, listen, why are you listening to this person? Like, why are you even following them? Like, you think this is a good idea really like this 17 parlay, this is what you want to do those types of things. But yeah, I mean, that's way more than a full-time job for 10 people, let alone one person. Right. Um, so try to understand what your, your strengths are and don't just look for an easy fix, I guess. I kind of went in circles there. Yeah, no, it's they're kind of connected in some way. This th- th- there's, you know, the stuff that really gets me going. This is just one like very very specific example you see a ton during NFL season, but someone will tweet out an NFL pick. Chiefs minus 7. Some bad information comes in, buying out of Chiefs minus 7 with the other side. That number now disappears from their record completely, even though that's a 20 cent loss. If you're paying minus 110 on one side, minus 110 on the other. Now, anyone following that person is taking a 20 cent loss if they follow that advice. But that number, those two numbers just disappear from the public record for them as if nothing ever happened. That drives me crazy. And for anyone new who's coming into that, I mean, if you see stuff like that, that's just an absolute guaranteed red flag of this person should not be trusted whatsoever. And here's another one. Um, when you when you look at how people cherry pick their sample sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, 11 and six last 17. Meanwhile, they were 400 and 500, like the previous 900 games. So if they're not, I, I see no problem with recency. If it's placed in a, um, in a space where you have the overall numbers too. So give them the whole picture. If you want to say you're on a hot streak, fine, but make sure you're giving the people that are trying to like, that you're trying to get something from, give them the whole piece of data. I'm going to steal Johnny's line here because you've said this perfectly before. If someone is promoting an 11 and six streak, you can guarantee that they were 11 and seven. That's the only reason that they promoted the 11. And it works with every single streak. No matter what. No matter what. You can guarantee that there was an extra loss on that. So that's a great one. Um, Really appreciate your time, Clive. Uh, We'll ask you the same question we asked every single one of our guests as we close this up. Tell everyone where the nickname is from so that people don't think that that's your actual name as well. Yeah, go for it. Oh, yeah. So Clive Bixby is a, uh, a fictional character of a fictional character. Correct. So Phil Dunphy from Modern Family. Um... I guess it was a Valentine's Day episode or something like that, where he and his wife decide to go to a bar as as strangers and try and role play something out. So she turns into Juliana and he's Clive Bixby and he's got like this weird suit on and, you know, hello, my name is Clive. And it's just a funny character that they keep with uh, the rest of the show. Yep. It's, it's an alter ego for a fictional a fan character. of the show. What's that? Are you a fan of that show? I am. I kind of stopped watching them in like season four, season five. I just it's thought your fictional, now characters, for life. fictional characters were always even more funny for some reason. Yeah, so. for sure. But no, it was just funny. You stopped watching it. No ties to Modern Family, but that is now your identity and we can know that's done now. You, if you got to rebrand, it's going to take years. I know. Um, and it was good. At least I could find some good pictures of Clive. So at least, you know, I can put that on my profile. And it's, it's, it's just a funny, uh, it is a funny show. When you, um, now that you're working with like some partners that you've connected with, do you go by Clive with them? Uh, yes, only because I, I don't care saying this. My real name's Mike. 
Um, but only because Mike is so common that in some of those circles, there's another Mike. So I'm like, just call me Clive. There's no other Clives. Yes, <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's easier that way. I'm just curious because, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I go by my real name with everyone or pizza man. I'll, I'll commonly <laughs> on, uh, on, uh, some telegram chats and I wish I had used an alias for life. So keep, keep with the alias, I think, but, um, yeah, appreciate your time today. Um, uh, been very generous with it. Um, if you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give to your former self? Don't let uh, striving for perfect be the enemy of good and progress. Um, I would say far too many times in both my poker and even in the beginning of my sports betting career, there were opportunities that I probably could have taken advantage of, but I was a little bit too risk averse. And I'm not saying, you know, bet, you know, 25% of my bankroll on something, but whether it be increasing unit size, um, because I wasn't, and I'm not like a pure modeler with poker, I know the EV of a play based on the range of hands that I'm playing against and the range of hands that I have, blah, blah, blah. I can quantify that. Um, it was difficult at first to kind of quantify my edge and what it was. So I was hesitant to probably bet and increase um, my unit sizes as I went along. So have a little bit more trust that what I was doing was right. And don't be so hesitant, if that makes sense. Makes a ton of sense. That's Clive Bixby, aka Jersey Mike. You can follow him. <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Clive Bixby 41 and Instagram and TikTok as well. Actually, what kind of content? I I'm, I mean, this is horribly prepared radio host here or podcast host here. What kind of content are you posting on Instagram and TikTok out of curiosity? So TikTok so far, nothing. I just started the account. Um, Instagram, mostly it's a lot of my uh, Twitter posts or like, honestly, I put up my like bet stamp records and things there for people to follow. Nice. Um, that's been pretty much it there. I do think as I get into next basketball season, that's where I might post some of my picks and my analysis with it. Um, but that's, I just don't spend a ton of time on social media, like outside of Twitter, trying to get, you know, information and networking and, and having those conversations. I get it, man. I, same with me. I'm in my mid thirties. I find it so overwhelming. Like, Honestly, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know how people do it, but, uh, you know, I look at some, uh, some younger people, Zach, our producer here is, you know, big hit on Instagram and, uh, and TikTok as well. I, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have to figure it out at some point, but you guys are putting out some good, funny content though for Betstamp. Yeah, I think it's all right. I mean, uh, usually I'm making an ass of myself and everyone's kind of laughing about it. Uh, they get me to do dances around the office and stuff like that. Listen, I mean, I don't care. I honestly don't care. I like to just have fun in life. I think it's, um, if you worry about what other people think, like you, you, there's just no need to do that. So I think it's fun. We just try to do, yeah. we just try to have fun. We're a bunch of, bunch of people looking to have fun. Um, for those out there who want to follow Clive on Betstamp, you can download the app or check out betstamp.app. Go to the marketplace. He will be in the featured users as he usually is because he's been winning for a long time and you can just click the follow button on his name and get notified every single time he uh, locks in a play. You can also check out some of the content he's doing at Sports Wager U. 
appreciate your time, Clive. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Anytime. See you.